Okay, let's say the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Ve'chol Levavecha, Uvechol Nefshecha, Uvechol Meodecha, Ve'ahavta Ladreacha Kamocha. Amen. Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. These are the very words of God. <laughs> okay. We are in Mark 2, Matthew 12, and Luke 6. This story is recorded in all three what we call synoptic gospels. This is the life of Messiah that we're, we're scrutinizing. We are looking in this class like we've never looked before at the life of Jesus. True? Yeah. Uh, we are told in three different gospels a story of Jesus, his disciples, and a charge of breaking the Sabbath and a response to that charge. First, I'd like to begin with a summary of the traditional Christian uh, interpretation of these passages. What has been the traditional understanding of this story? You're saying, well, I don't know. What is the story? Let me read for you very quickly. I'll read out of Mark 2. It's verse 23. Listen to this. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, Shabbat was made for man, not man for Shabbat, right? Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, how do you read that? How do we understand Jesus' words? What is he saying when he says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And by the way, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. What do you want? What do we understand? God didn't make the Sabbath and then he didn't, he didn't make man on top of it so that men, men are like the base. Okay. The men are the foundation of Sabbath. I know what you're trying to say. What do, you, what do we think? Is Jesus the son of man? Is he Lord of the Sabbath? What does that mean? It's his. Can he do what he wants with it? Does he have to do exactly what the Sabbath says he has to do? If he's Lord of the Sabbath? See, traditional Christian interpretation says Jesus can break the Sabbath if he wants because he's the one that made it. And what Kyle was saying is, listen, the Sabbath is subject to man, not man to the, subject, not man to the Sabbath. Um. Does Jesus give his disciples then permission to break the Sabbath? Because they're eating heads of grain, walking through this grain field. And let me ask you a question. Was his reason, if he breaks the Sabbath, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Listen, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. 
take it from another story. Turn to Matthew 12 and let's read Jesus' words because this is really interesting. Um, look at verse five, Matthew 12, five. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. What is he talking about? You think he's talking about the kingdom? Listen to the verse eight. For the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Something greater than the temple is here. Right? Me. Come on. You guys don't recognize I'm greater than the temple. Right? This is what he's talking about. Right? This is traditional Christian interpretation of this. Jesus and his Talmudim are walking through a grain field. Not through the middle of it, obviously, but around the edges. All three synoptics tell us that it was the Sabbath. They were walking through a grain field and his Talmudim were plucking heads of grain to eat. Then they are accused of doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus responds in all three with a story about David eating the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone except the priests to eat. However, all three gospel accounts differ slightly. And this is where reading the Bible gets pretty fun because you got to turn into a detective. And so I'm going to tell you this. Mark gives us a name, Abiathar. This is Ahimelech's son. Ahimelech is the high priest. Now Mark tells us in the time of Abiathar. Matthew does not say that. Luke does not say that. Matthew says, oh, and by the way, the disciples were hungry. Okay. Mark just says they were walking through a grain field and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat them. But Matthew says, no, they were hungry. Then he adds David's story. And then he says the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath. And then he tells us something greater than the temple is here. Luke, what he says is, that's different is that the disciples were rubbing the heads of grain in their hands. That's all. That's it. That's the only difference that Luke tells. You say, well, those aren't big deal. What's the big deal with that? If you truly believe, as I do, that every single word has been written because God wanted that word to be right there, then every single word, every single letter has eternal significance. So is it a big deal if Luke says they were rubbing? Yeah, it's a big deal. What is the big deal? I don't know. <laughs> That's when God says, you, you want to work a little bit? We say, yes. Got your gloves? Yeah, shovel? Let's dig. Okay, I believe with all my heart that Jesus said all of the things that are mentioned in this interaction with the Pharisees. I also believe with all my heart that you and me are meant to search out these discrepancies and these three synoptics to find out what they mean. Why? Because in our study of what a rabbi is and what a disciple is, how could we possibly claim that we truly love this rabbi if we leave these words ignored, if we leave these stones unturned, okay? So with the tools at our disposal in this day and age, and I'm talking about this right here, my iPhone has more power on it than the Apollo spacecraft that took the astronauts to the moon in 1969. I got more power right here than they had in their entire space shuttle, okay? Okay? 
It's amazing. So we have no excuse. We have these tools right at our fingertips. Now, uh, some have been given to discover and teach. Others have been given to learn and pass on. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a discoverer. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a pass oner. But you got to be something. Don't keep these teachings, these things to yourself. That's the reason I make you take notes and keep it in your notebook. Because I want you one day to pull that notebook out and go over some of these things and go, you know what? I could give a really cool Devo because I remember that. That was a cool lesson. All right. Um, so none of us are meant to keep this stuff under lock and key. They're meant to be shared out in the open for all. Okay. So a lot of people believe that Jesus was kind of asserting his right to break the Sabbath if he wanted to, and also his disciples, uh, and that somehow he was doing away with, with one of the Ten Commandments, the one that says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. But a brief look at the actual scriptural account to which Jesus refers is going to reveal what he's actually doing here. It's pretty awesome. Okay, first with Mark's account, we're going to clue into Beathar. He was the son of Ahimelech, we said, the high priest who was on duty at the time of the David story, that that gets mentioned. Um, let's read this story together. Does anybody know where the David story, where he comes up to the high priest and says, hey, I need some bread. Me and my guys here. And the priest says, uh, I don't have any common bread. Do you know where that story is? Good guess. I, nope. Keep going. Nope. Nope, that's not right. No, that, that's not right either. What? Philemon. Philemon, definitely not right. Okay, I didn't know either. I had to look it up. First Samuel 21. Oh. <laughs> that would be close. Okay, here we go. This is it. Then David came to Nob. Oh, what a terrible name of a town. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling. Interesting. And said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything about the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand. Only the holy bread. What's the holy bread? Consecrated. Consecrated bread, bread of the presence. How many loaves of it are there at all times in the holy place? Twelve. That's right. There's twelve loaves of it. It's called the bread of the presence in English. You know what it's called in Hebrew? The bread of the faces. The panim. Lechem hapanim. It's the bread of the faces. Well, if there's twelve pieces of bread there, who are the faces? The 12 tribes of Israel. God said, I want 12 loaves of bread in my holy place at all times so that I might remember my people Israel. Now, why are they made out of bread? Let me ask you a question. What are you made out of? Where do you come from? Water. You come right out of the earth. Because if you were made like Adam was, you come right out of the earth. It means you were made of the same things that, is, that the earth is made up of. We have carbon, nitrogen, oxygen. We're made up of the same things. So can you imagine bread reminding God of people? I just think that's kind of cool. What comes out of the earth? Wheat, barley, flour, 
gets made from wheat, right? Salt, all that stuff comes right out of the earth. So God says, I want to remember mm, Israel. Let's make bread. And when I look at the bread, I'll think, oh, the bread of the faces, there they are. Really cool. So here's what the priest says. I have no common bread, only holy bread. My Bible has this hyphen right there, this dash. I don't know why it's there. I don't know if it's there in the Hebrew, but I think that dash between holy bread and if the young men, to me, that indicates a while past. I'm sorry, David. I don't have any common bread. I only have the bread of the presence, which is only allowed to be eaten by the priests. Do you know what happens if somebody other than a priest eats that bread? They die. David, I will be sentencing you and all your men to death if you eat this bread. That's not what the priest says. I get a hash mark right there, a a hyphen. And then the priest says the weirdest thing you can possibly imagine. I don't have any common bread, just holy bread. If the young men have, you know, kept themselves from women. (laughs) What? Well, if they haven't had hanky-panky in three days or so, you know, then then they could probably eat the bread. Are you reading the same Bible I am? Look at it. I have no bread on hand, just the holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And we got to think, what in the world is blowing my mind? What What does that have to do with anything? And David answers the priest, well, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy. Oh, gosh. Even when it's an ordinary journey, how much more today will their vessels be holy? Holy vessels? Like, what is going on here? So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it's taken away. I want to teach you guys something this morning about the law. Not only in this country, in every country. And how courts have settled cases for centuries. This is really cool. The U.S. being no exception. There is something called a precedent. What is a precedent? Okay. Specifically, a legal precedent is a decision that's made by a higher court that the lower courts must follow. Once a case is decided, it establishes a precedent or a uh, judicial decision that should be followed when a similar case comes to court. Why? Because our legal system and most legal systems want to be consistent in their rulings and their interpretation of the law. My question is, Why does a high priest ask David if the young men have kept themselves from women? And then instead of answering, what are you talking about? David says, well, as a matter of fact, they have. (laughs) Just so happens. But something weird happens here. Did you know that the Hebrew does not say what your Bible says it says? What does your verse say in verse 5? What does your Bible say in 1 Samuel 21, verse 5? Women have been kept with, 
from us as usual. That is not what the Hebrew says. Anybody listening to this can go to a Hebrew interlinear Bible, look up for Samuel 21.5. I challenge you to do it. I dare you to do it. I want you to do it. And you know what you're going to read? Truly, women have been kept from us for three days. You say, now why wouldn't they translate that? I don't know. David says, for three days at least, when the priest asks him, have your young men been kept from women? David says, yeah, they've been kept from women for three days at least. Why three days with no hanky-panky? But why would that matter to the high priest? Now, where is the high priest getting that? What's his precedent? That's, that's the genius of... Okay, when people say Jesus Christ is the greatest teacher that ever lived, I want you to know something. I always understood that for about 40 years of my life, that Jesus Christ is the greatest teacher because he's God. He's God's son, so he kind of has to be. I mean, how can you not be the greatest if you're God's son? He's like almost, he's got to be the most handsome man that ever lived. Nope. In fact, the Bible says he was nothing to look at. He was nothing special. He didn't leave an impression at all. So we think that by default, Jesus has to be all these things. Y'all, Jesus is the greatest teacher because he is brilliant. And I want you to know something. First and foremost, Jesus is a lawyer. And that should make all of us sigh with the greatest sigh of relief. Oh, thank God he is a lawyer. Because do you know what God is going to use to judge us? The law. And do you know who we need if we really, really, really need to get off? be acquitted for something is Jesus the greatest lawyer ever. And I want to show you Jesus' skills as a lawyer. He's such an awesome lawyer. I love lawyer shows, courtroom shows. One of the best movies I, I, I can't recommend to you because it's got some rough language, but one of the best movies I, I say you shouldn't go see, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, is called A Few Good Men. Tom Cruise, Kevin Bacon, um, Jack Nicholson. Oh, such a great, huh? Okay. So listen, Jesus is going to talk precedent here. Jesus is citing a story out of 1 Samuel about David and his mighty men, most likely, eating bread, breaking laws, and not being guilty. Okay? My question is, okay, 1 Samuel 21, where do you get... Mr. High Priest, that David can eat this bread if he hasn't been with women for three days. Where are you getting that? Well, the answer to that lies in a precedent a little earlier on in the book. Not Samuel, but the Torah. Where is the only other place, I think, in the entire Torah where men are commanded to sever sexual relations with women for three days so they can eat bread in the presence of God and not be guilty. See, that's going to be a little, oh man, I don't know that one, Mr. Dean. Turn to Exodus 24. This is so cool. Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read it. Are you there? Yes. Not like here in the class. I mean, at, in Exodus 24. Okay. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up on Mount Sinai 
and they saw the God of Israel. Parentheses, and they didn't die. There was under his feet, whose feet? God's feet. As it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They looked, beheld God, and they ate and they drank. What does it mean that God didn't lay his hand on them? He didn't kill them. He didn't crush them to dirt. They were able to bear up under the weight. We say, okay, so these 70 elders and Nadab and Abihu and Aaron and Moses, they went up on the mountain, they ate, and they actually looked at God and their eyeballs didn't just burn out of their heads. But where's the whole, why, did, why does the first Samuel refer to this story? Well, look at Exodus 19, just a few chapters earlier. And do you know what God says? Moses, yes. Come on up here, come up the mountain. So the old man, 80-something, climbs up Mount Sinai. Like, you think that would be easy? You saw some of the mountains that they think are Mount Sinai? Gets up to the top, you know what God says? All right, go down and get your brother Aaron. I, uh, I just got, excuse me, God says. Okay, so he goes down the mountain. Aaron, yeah, Aaron's even older. We gotta go see God. Can he just come down and get up there right now? So, they climb up Mount Sinai again. And then God says, all right, Moses, Aaron, yes, sir. Go down and warn the people. What? Are, what? Go down and warn the people not to touch the mountain. <laughs> okay, so they go back down the mountain and then come back when you're done. Even Moses says, Lord, we already told them. We already warned them not to. And God says, I don't need any back talk. Go warn them not to touch the mountain, not even to come close to it. Not even an animal or I'm gonna have them killed. Listen to what Moses, does God at any time says, oh, and by the way, tell them not to have sex with their wives. The Lord never says that to Moses. Listen to what Moses says when he gets down the hill. 